Welcome, Mike Thompson from Ground to Great, a business aviation and personal growth podcast. Mike, how are you doing today? Hey, I am doing just great. Thanks so much for inviting me. Of course, man. Of course. So um, I just want to get viewers or the listeners uh, just kind of a good idea of, you know, maybe an introduction of uh, since you're in the aviation industry, good background of how you got into it um, and what you do now. Oh, okay. Um, well, I had background as both a pilot and a mechanic. Now, my first love is flying. Mm-hmm. And I became a mechanic because pilot jobs were not nearly as readily available um, 40 years ago. Let you know how old I am. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> as they are today. So, you know, just like a lot of, a lot of young people, young girls, young boys, you're out at the airport, maybe you're looking at a big jetliner or, or airplanes taking off, you kind of you fall in love with it, you get that bug, that feel, you know. I was the same yeah. way, I was at uh, Mitchell Field, for those of you who are not familiar, named after General Billy Mitchell in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, mm. as a little boy at night looking out at the blue taxiway lights. <laughs> You're like, what are those? What are those and movies? I was yeah. so enamored by airplanes and aviation, I decided I was going to be a pilot. And um, I went to a two-year technical college in Wisconsin and earned my ratings up through my, CF, uh, my CFI initial. And um, so back in those days, same as today, this instructor certificate was used to uh, build flight time. Um, but it was hard even to get a CFI job, let alone an airline job. Mm-hmm. Well, I got a job down in the Carolinas. I was at a little airport outside of Raleigh, Durham. Now, you may or may not know it. Um, you can always look it up on, I think it's still on ForeFlight. It used to be called Wendell Nightdale Airport, mm-hmm. just east of Raleigh. Anyway, uh-huh. the guy that owned it flew out of Raleigh, and I had a couple of flight students, and we did some charter around the Carolinas, and... Um, it was literally hand to mouth, man. I mean, you were straight from the hose, right? <laughs> Woo! Yeah, drinking from the hose, baby. It was uh, hard to make a living, so um, I decided to enlist in the military service. And um, so, Coast my... Guard, correct? Pardon? Coast Guard? Yes. Uh-huh. It was my it's kind of my philosophical side of my nature. <laughs> and I said, you know what? The Coast Guard's the thing for me. I want to get out there and try to rescue people, help people. Anyway, they uh, they made me into an aircraft mechanic and an air crewman. While I was in the service, I was flight instructing um, in my off-duty hours as a civilian, which is why I ended up with a lot of military pilots who were doing their civilian conversions. That was a lot of fun. You know, I'd get these FA-18 pilots who uh, couldn't believe that a 172, let alone a 152, could fly at 40 knots, you know. (laughs) What? They go that slow? Yeah. (laughs) They had this racetrack pattern about a mile and a half out. But uh, anyway, we got them all squared away and converted. So that's how I ended up as both a pilot and a mechanic. And I spent eight years in the Coast Guard doing that. And um, I left the Coast Guard to come back to the technical college system where I started my flight training. And worked as a uh, uh, instructor of mechanics in a 147 program and uh, and a CFI. Nice. So, um, yeah. what uh, since you're saying since you said you're an AMP and a pilot as well, I'm also an AMP and a pilot as well. Um, 
And I, a lot of questions that I get is how much does it translate over, um, you know, one side of that industry to the other? And especially since you have an instructor point of view from both of those aspects that I don't have, um, do you kind of have um, any insight or knowledge on how they translate one another or do they as much? Or Oh, yeah. yeah. So, um, um, uh, you know, we can get your perspective on it, too. But okay. I'll tell you, I'll answer. I'll answer in really, really simple terms. Yeah. Terms. A ton. A ton. Absolute overlap. You know, if you're a pilot, you'll be a better mechanic. If you're a mechanic, you'll be a better pilot absolutely a ton of crossover i mean it goes both ways whichever one you start with um whichever one you're more ex or less experienced at man it's just fantastic in both directions that's my that's my take on it mm -hmm. and so you like being a pilot better correct well yeah i, I, you I know, do too i'm not gonna lie yeah, but they both um, go hand in hand I'd yeah say. They, they really do yeah. i i I'm a very kinesthetic, hands-on, practical person. I love getting out some tools, working on something, fixing it, creating something, making it better, whatever. Yeah. But when it comes to airplanes, nah, my first love really is, you know, three dimensions, stick and rudder, yeah. get up there, upside down, backwards, loops and rolls. That's <laughs> my, um, if you gave me a choice between fixing them or flying them, I'd rather fly them. Mm -hmm. But I love fixing them. Yeah. But I'd yeah. rather fly them. I feel like it's more fun too if you're if it's your own airplane that you're working on. I feel like then the, that would be that would be kind of the whole package deal, you know, because you get to actually say like, okay, now I get to experience the joy of me flying this thing that I fix. You know? Yeah, you remember the yeah. Christian Eagle? You're familiar with the Christian Eagle? Uh, no, I'm not. It's yeah. a it's a small bi-wing aerobatic kit plane, mm. and. Um, um, it was an early <clears throat> version of a kit plane, and it had very complete kits, and it's a beautifully flying little airplane, and, and that was my dream back in the 80s, you know, yeah. to build the Christian Eagle. Well, it's still a dream of mine. I just never had the, um, uh, uh, the time or the money to make it happen, but mm -hmm. yeah, so you're right. Yeah, if you owned it or you built it or you, you own it and maintain it, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know there's another, like, there's, like, a lot of good groups that um, will help you get started. Like, I know the EAA. Oh, um, yeah, hands they, down. Yeah, yeah. World famous. Yes, yeah, absolutely yes. world famous. Yeah, it's a good group. Uh, I actually got to meet uh, a pilot uh, the other day. Uh, world's only pilot to fly without arms. Certified pilot. Oh, well, she's, she's light sport. But oh. she's trying to get, she's trying to get into an aircraft where she would have to find, uh, you know, a medical way to yeah. to get it done. So they're creating a new new plane for her to be able to to fly in it. But she currently flies with uh, with no arms. That yeah. is pretty cool. You yeah, know, right. and, uh, uh, I teach this pilot uh, this uh, CFI ground school here at Epic Flight Academy for the mm -hmm. last couple of years, and that's one thing I always talk to about instructors. You know, when your new student comes to you with any type of a a major or minor disability, you know, don't be discouraging. We, all of us, I think, would be very surprised at some of the pilots who are flying out there legally <laughs> with, you know, with current uh, medical certificates and exemptions. So, yeah, don't, don't discourage anybody in any way. So she's a great inspiration. Yeah, yeah, great example and inspiration as well. Definitely that, you know, you, if you have a, a dream or a goal, 
as long as you're committed, it's really, you know, sky's not the limit, right? <laughs> right, yeah, no, and, and, and it really is not the limit. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely not the limit. Yeah. So speaking off of that, um, I, one of the questions I wanted to ask you is um, what, uh, what inspired you to, to write your, your book? And um, if you want to tell um, the listeners what your book is, Teaching is Not oh, Telling. Yeah, how did, right. at what point in your life were you like, you know what, I, I need to write this. Um, I need yeah. to get down and, and just kind of a brief overview about it. Yeah, the, the title of the book is called Telling is Not Teaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the book was written to parallel and expand upon the FAA's Aviation Instructor Handbook. Now, I started my teaching career after the service when I came back to the tech college system. I really learned what it meant to become a teacher. And I really cut my teeth and built my teaching skills in the 147 school and then as a part-time flight instructor. And um, what the book is really getting at the idea that we need to build a relationship with that learner so that we can discover exactly who they are, what they want, what they need, what their goals are, and help them achieve it because it's not about us. It's not about us as teachers. So part of that inspiration came from my early teaching years where um, I saw just Far too many teachers, unfortunately, who it was about them. Let's try my to get class, their hours. Yeah. yeah. My class, my lecture, you listen to me, see what I have to say. I stand at the lectern. It's very boring. It's very dry. Half the students are asleep. They're wondering why. <laughs> you know, it's a very teacher centered approach. Mm-hmm. And so um, I learned and adopted a very learner centered approach where it's not about the teacher, it is about the learner. And hence the title. Mm -hmm. Just telling somebody something is not teaching them. Telling them is the teacher-centered approach. Mm -hmm. Um, Teaching them, really working with them, that's the learner-centered approach. And it's it's much more effective. And, I might add, rewarding Mm -hmm. for the teacher and much more rewarding for the learner. Mm-hmm. That's the gist of it. Yeah. Um, so if there's uh, any flight instructors listening to the podcast today, what, uh, what advice would you give them from, like, from the book specifically? I mean, you know, it's not about telling necessarily, but is there any like tips, specific tips yeah. that, from your experience you've yeah. seen that a lot of instructors yeah. do that yeah. should be maybe um, done a different way? Oh, I don't know. There's a, there's a <laughs> there's a million of them. You know, you yeah. can't, can't always think of them off the top of your head. But um, uh, what we just mentioned, you know, just think about building the relationship first, and look at it from their perspective and what they need. Now, you know what the standards are. You know what the ACS requires. You know what the airplane flying handbook says. You know where they need to go. Okay, great, but help them get there from their perspective. I mean, that's that's really the key. So um, I've trained a lot of instructors over the years, and uh, a couple of things I tell them. Um, know your references. Know where to go quickly to find things, because uh, contrary to popular belief, <laughs> CFIs do not know everything. 
Well, maybe I do when I first get my ticket, right? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> right after Everyone I, does. Yeah. <laughs> right after I pass my CFI check ride, I know everything there is to know about aviation. But that only lasts a short time. Mm -hmm. And I come back to reality and I realize, holy cow, I have so much to, more to learn about being a teacher. And it's mm -hmm. critical uh, to know the references. And if I know the references, that can really help me because... When I do make a mistake, or when I do teach a learner something incorrectly, um, I, of course I have to admit it. And admitting that to my learner builds trust, and it builds the relationship. And so I tell uh, new instructors, uh, hey look, even experienced instructors are going to make mistakes. But as a new instructor, if you are honest, and you have enthusiasm, and you're continuing to learn, your flight student will forgive you a multitude of errors. <laughs> Trust me, that's yeah. true. And I mean, imagine yourself as a learner. Mm -hmm. If your instructor was enthusiastic, you could see they were learning, and they were working hard, they make the occasional mistake, wouldn't you forgive them? I know I would, mm -hmm. and, and you know, we learn together. And so that really, that really helps and builds. So that that's, I guess, a key piece of advice to young instructors. Yeah, I, I like how you mentioned learning together because I mean, I um, I was in in Boy Scouts a lot, and yeah. uh, growing up, that's the program I did. And we would, as we would grow up, we ended up teach teaching the younger kids or younger scouts that would come into the troop. And it's funny to, for me when I was like maybe teaching lots or different survival skills how much I would learn from actually teaching. So it's not just, oh, yeah. it's not just like, um, and there's different ways we have like something called the edge method, which is explain, yeah. demonstrate, guide, enable. Yeah. Um, so we would use that to be able to teach our tenderfoot scouts, right. you know, when they're just coming and you know, they're fresh yeah. and they're trying to learn knots or like I said, survival <clears throat> skills or yeah. trying to do a campfire. Um, but you would learn a lot. Uh, and, and it's funny because, you, like you said, it's a learning experience that both you guys gain something yeah. new. And it should be like that since yeah. it's a new experience that both of you guys are sharing. So Yeah. yeah. You know, so one thing I do with the students is uh, uh, we say, all right, <clears throat> guess how long I've been at this. You know, now I've got gray hair, <laughs> although I'm young at heart. You yeah, know, it's you pretty go. obvious I've yeah. been around a while. I always tell them I'm 39 years old, you mm -hmm. know, chuckle, chuckle. And um, so they guessed when I got my CFI. And the year was, drum roll please, 1979. So there I'll you let, go. I'll yeah. let you do the math yeah. on that. 1979. And so I tell them, you know, it's, it's because I've been an instructor for 43 years, the assumption is that I know everything. That's the worst possible assumption by anybody. And it's the worst possible assumption by myself. So they asked me, you've been training instructors a long time. How do you know, uh, how, do you, how do you recognize a good instructor? How do you, how do you know who's going to make a good instructor? Mm. You know, is it, is it stick and rudder skill? You know, is it that they can quickly answer a lot of technical questions? I mean, is it their ability to draw on the whiteboard? You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, what is it? I'm like, well, yeah, okay. It's all that, but you know what it really is? Here's what it comes down to. If I see an instructor who is learning, I can virtually guarantee they will be a good instructor. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know if you're aware or if your listeners are aware, 
but at the Epic Flight Academy, we have an instructor on staff who has been a CFI for more than half a century, more than five decades, more than 50 years. Now, if you've held your CFI for 50 years or more, the FAA will give you the Wright Brothers Award. Now, this instructor holds the Wright Brothers Award, and if you want to see an instructor who's continuing to learn, after 50-some-odd years of holding a CFI, this guy is always asking questions, reading books, challenging himself to learn new things. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, so... One of the questions that I was going to ask you as well is, what do you think about uh, in your, I, I saw on online for the Epic um, kind of introduction or bio, you said there's a new way of teaching and oh, yeah. there is an old way that's being forgotten. Would yeah. you want to kind of explain yeah. what that means? Sure. In the book I talk about, um, the new school being old school. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is this. Um, I've been a teacher now for quite some time, and I have seen um, both in the teaching profession and in the cockpit uh, the advance of technology, okay, which, by the way, I think is fantastic. Glass cockpits, G1000, um, LMSs, those are learning management systems, online learning systems like... Um, uh, Blackboard or Schoology, you know, those types of things. Um, just a podcast, for example, that we're doing now, mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, the use of cellular technology, YouTube, websites, I mean, you name it. Well, when you study the psychology of learning and you study education and you study how people learn, there, there's this thing out there called, um, uh, they call this accelerated learning right, or accelerated uh, performance. And mm -hmm. so the idea is that if somehow I'm using technology, all of the new school, mm -hmm. okay, air quotes, mm -hmm. new school items, that somehow my learning will be accelerated. Mm -hmm. Well, in fact, what I talk about in the book is that's not really the case. Because while technology has advanced, the way that your brain processes, encodes, decodes, encodes, decodes, memorizes, and learns material mm -hmm. really has not changed that much or certainly very rapidly in, you know, hundreds or even maybe, you know, thousands of years of human existence. Mm -hmm. So the new school of advanced technology does not guarantee faster or better learning. Mm. It's the old school of building a relationship between the learner and the student that really cements the possibility of, of deep you know, learning that is remembered and sticks with them. So that's mm -hmm. the idea. That's mm -hmm. what I mean when I say that the new school really is old school, mm -hmm. which is not to discount the use of technology, mm -hmm. but to remember that we still learn the way we've always learned. We can't learn faster just because we pack it in a YouTube video. Yeah. Not going to happen. <laughs> that's funny. 
I, I liked how you opened this door. Um, I'm recently reading this book called uh, The Essential Guide to Neurolinguistic Programming. So basically, it talks a little bit how your mind works, how certain people process information. Right. Um, there's some ways, um, and I'll tie it to, to learning, where um, we take, we prioritize forms of information uh, or certain ways, um, or they're called submodalities, than uh, more, like than others. So an example of that would be some people, and you can hear it a lot when you're talking with someone and you can kind of figure out what sources of information they prioritize uh, more. For example, um, some people are more focused or care more about um, auditory sounds. Mm -hmm. So maybe when you're teaching or you're learning something, you mm -hmm. process information or you care more about it because you listen to it more and that's how you, you know, you've grown sure. up in the world listening to things. Yeah. Or maybe you're more kinesthetic by touch or feel or more your visual. So right. maybe uh, having presentations mm -hmm. or other sources of guidances that are visual will help you be, um, well, at, when it comes to learning, might help you more to be a better learner when you have those sources of information that are based in that certain way. Um, but it's funny because like you said, and, and, I, and it kind of clicked with me when, uh, when you were talking is that old school or the way of really having an instructor one-on-one -on -one is indispensable because you really have the best opportunity to hit them at all sides because as an instructor or as a, um, you don't really know how your student is going to prioritize how they receive their information. That's just right. something how you're growing up with, you know? You, I just, for example, if I ask you, um, hey, what was what was your favorite part about a vacation that you had? Right. And you listen to their conversation and they can be like, oh man, I was in Cancun and I just would love to wake up and hear the waves crash. They really would like to process information auditory. Yeah. Or I woke up and I could smell the ocean breeze coming off. Maybe that's just their way of prioritizing information. So you're really getting all angles of, of that sources of information when you have a one-on-one -on -one instructor um so that's funny to me that you mentioned that because i was like oh yeah. that's the clicking I'm, yeah <laughs> i'm excited that you're learning about this this is so awesome this yeah. is fantastic this is um this is uh, uh frequently called the vak uh theory of learning style the what's visual, vak visual auditory kinesthetic oh, okay yeah, yeah. learning style uh -huh. theory and, and research does suggest exactly what you're saying, that learners do have, or they oftentimes have, a preferential modality. Mm. Exactly what you were saying. So maybe mm -hmm. I prefer, you know, kinesthetic or over auditory, for example. Now, that much evidence uh, or uh, research evidence really supports. And it's, it's, um, I'm glad you brought this up as well because it leads to a misconception that frequently frustrates me. Mm -hmm. And this is when both learners and teachers, by the way, say, well, for example, I'm a visual learner. Mm -hmm. Well, it's nice to know that's your preferred modality. But the assumption, therefore, is that if I get everything in a visual modality, I'm going to do better. Now, this is where research disagrees with us. In fact, if you have a preferred modality, any preferred modality learner does better 
when they receive multimodal inputs. And so that research contradicts this common misconception. Hey, if I'm visual, I should get visual inputs, I'm gonna learn more. No, if you're visual and you get visual and auditory and kinesthetic inputs, you'll learn more. So um, interesting to, clar to, to clarify that. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's not make that, let's not, let's not fall prey to that misconception. So modalities are true, mm -hmm. but multimodal learning works best for all learners. Mm -hmm. So, so, and, and so, what you're saying is, it's vital to be able to have a teaching style where you are hitting all those approaches and those angles, and and being able to present the learner in different angles. And oh, different absolutely. Perspectives you know, and so, for learning. example, in my yeah. class, I've got a PowerPoint slide on the uh, on the wall. And that guides us, and it's visual, obviously, and then you're listening to me speak, plus I'll come around, maybe we're talking about the heater in the seminal, and we've got you know, the actual heater part in our hands, in the classroom, on the table. Um, so I think a, a skilled teacher would be trying to present in all these modalities at any given time, and the FAA's characteristic of learning here is multifaceted. This is what they're talking about. Mm. Imagine how difficult it would be if you had 20 learners in class and you had to deliver your information, the same information three times, once visually, once auditory, and then once kinesthetic, you know, to, to separate groups. I mean, can you imagine how, how chaotic and crazy it would become <laughs> virtually impossible? Yeah. Well, it's a good thing that the research supports this multimodal approach. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I, I didn't know that uh, that the FAA kind of. I mean, is there is there more paperwork or stuff where where the FAA does support that? Because you said um, they also want you to teach. Oh, absolutely. In a I didn't in really the, know about um, that. Yeah. In the aviation instructor's handbook, you'll find this in chapter three. Mm. They talk about learning, which is the fattest, the longest, biggest, <laughs> fattest chapter, and also, in my humble opinion, the most interesting of all the chapters. But. Uh -huh. In Chapter 3, we find four characteristics the FAA um, lays out for us. And it says that we must be purposeful, uh, we should be multimodal, and it should be experiential, and it should be an active process. And these are, we call these the four characteristics. And multimodal, I mean, there you go, that's one of the four. It's, um, it's, uh, it's certainly essential. Yeah, yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. How did you How did you get uh, into it? You know, how did you go down oh, the rabbit right. hole of, of, of finding ways of how the mind works and how students want to learn? When I um, students learn, yeah. I left the service and I came back to the tech college system um, as an instructor. And this was the Wisconsin Technical College system, by the way. And um, so I'm teaching, of course, very technical skills, right? Mm -hmm. A and P and flying. But they wanted their technical instructors to have a background in education and would require us to take several college courses in specific areas, um, educational psychology, assessment, curriculum design, etc. cetera. And uh, um, so I said to myself, you know what? Would it be possible to combine those uh, required teaching courses into a master's degree. Well, certainly, it's very, very possible at many, many universities across the, the Wisconsin system. 
And uh, having already held a bachelor's degree, I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to work on my master's and tackle those classes as part of the master's, kind of two birds with one stone, because I think I'm really interested in how people learn. Well, little did I know, um, that became a passion of mine. I am fascinated by how people learn, and my master's degree is in educational psychology, mm. which I studied at the University of Wisconsin in Whitewater, an excellent school, by the way, and uh, have just been, you know, kind of sticking with it ever since. I just find it fascinating. Mm -hmm. I call the human brain the most amazing three-pound computer <laughs> in the known universe. Yeah. The known universe. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about the human brain. You know, it just fascinates me how we learn stuff. Yeah, and I, I like it. I, I think it's really fascinating to, to know how the brain can will, will recall certain information and and how um, in, in the same book that, that I read, you can kind of tell based on how someone's looking either the left or the right, um, whether they're recalling from a previous experience or imagining what a certain experience will look like, which is really, really interesting. Um, it's, it's just fascinating. It's like a computer, exactly. Yeah. And it's like, and you're literally sometimes searching in your head where yeah. to find this information yeah. or, you know, anything to recall maybe from a past learning experience as well. Yeah, so, isn't that neat? Yeah. You yeah. can watch where their eyes go and think, hmm. Yeah, what is yeah. he thinking? Yeah. 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 And you can see, you know, how learners talk about, um, we have these uh, learning theories about hooks, you know, and, and hooking um, known to unknown and hooking little bits of information. What do, you, what do you mean by that, hooking to unknown? Um, so we, we take something that you're learning that you're not aware of yet and, and connect it to something you already know. Mm. So that kind of makes a hook and it makes a link for you to jump and learn more about it, you know. Oh. And, uh -huh. um, and you can actually see learners process this in their memory and think about something that they knew and connect it to something that they just learned or are learning. So yeah, you see these connections all the time. It's, it's, it's really fun, uh, at least for me. And if you feel the same way, you're probably a natural born teacher. <laughs> yeah. You know, if that excites you, like yeah. it does you and me. So you want to read this book called Telling is Not Teaching. Yeah. Yeah. And you want to think about the teaching profession. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Um, what, uh, since you said there's more and newer technology coming out to supplement, and from, from what I can kind of tell, should fundamentally be used as a supplement from what traditional ways are or old school, um, where do you think the way of teaching aviation is, is going right now? And where, how do you see it in the future? Um, I see it transitioning from a stick and rudder to outer space, you know, I mean, just to put it very uh, succinctly, mm -hmm. I mean, think about uh, Kitty Hawk, the first flight, 120 feet, right, Orville and Wilbur, mm -hmm. uh, Charles Taylor, by the way, was the mechanic that made it possible, right? Yeah. So. If you're a mechanic for 50 years, you get the Charles Taylor Award. Mm -hmm. That was 1903. <clears throat> now, do you remember when Neil and Buzz landed on the moon? Mm -hmm. July of 1969. All right, so do the math. 66 years from Kitty Hawk to the moon. Mm -hmm. 
All right. If you look at aviation technology today, I mean, just the venerable old 172, and we fly the S model. Our standby gyro is not even air-driven anymore. <laughs> the standby is now electronic. Yeah. I mean, stuff is just taking off. So uh, it, it's, it's, you know, good and bad, pros and cons, depending on how you look at it. Everything's got two sides. For me, we're really losing, you know, all of that old stick and rudder stuff. You know, you hop Classics, in a yeah. Cetabria yeah. and you fly along at 50 or 60 or you know, maybe 90 knots was high speed, you know, and you're really, you know, looping and rolling and you can really feel all three dimensions through the uh, elevators and the ailerons and the rudder. And, you know, that's changing. I mean, that's changing. That is going by the wayside now. Um, more and more automation and uh, higher, faster, further. Um, I mean, that's the evolution, and, and that's the change, and uh, we have to change with it. And our, our, our teaching techniques will certainly change, um, but a lot of the ways that we learn this stuff will stay the same. Those relationships will still be in place. But I mean, it, you know, it's, if you want to see, see change, if you want to see evolution, I'll tell you, look at aviation. Definitely. Look yeah. at aviation. It is changing constantly, and it's changing quickly. And, um, you know, back to being a learner. Back to being a learner. Any good pilot. Now, we were talking about a flight instructor. Mm -hmm. Any good pilot. Come on, you have to be learning. This stuff is changing so fast. And if you're not, you know what? You're not flying anymore. I've got some friends, uh, <clears throat> you know, who came up with me in the 70s and the 80s, and they said, Glass cockpits, you know, magenta line babies. <laughs> uh, we never had that stuff. I'm sticking with the old six pack. Well, guess what? They're not flying anymore. I'm still flying because I'm still learning. So that that's the one thing you're going to see absolutely hands down. It's just it's going to evolve, and and you just have to decide, you know, evolve with it or not. Yeah, you kind of have to catch up with the technology since it's happening yeah, so do. rapidly. Yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah. You got to stay with it, and, and that's your call as an individual pilot. You know, stay with it or don't stay with it. Because mm -hmm. that's that's really interesting how you said that. They're like, well, they're not flying anymore. You know, they're no longer a pilot. Yeah, you have a pilot has to be continuing to learn and, yeah. and staying up to date with what's yeah. going on. And you know, yeah. and, and even I mean, even if I think of my friends who are what we call the Sunday morning pancake pilots, <laughs> you know, so they own a they they own a uh, they own a small general aviation airplane. They keep it in the T hangar and they go out on a nice weekend and they fly together to some place to get a cheeseburger. Mm -hmm. You know, the hundred dollar hamburger. Yeah, well, right. probably the thousand dollar hamburger, <laughs> but you know what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. Now, even in their case. As a FAA safety rep, you know, or just as a flight instructor, or just as a fellow pilot, or if you look at the FAA, they, they just want you to continue to be safe. In order to continue to be safe, you have to continue to learn. Mm -hmm. So, not too long, a couple years back, well, several years back, came out the biennial flight review. Well, now we want you to even change your attitude towards a biannual flight review and don't think mm -hmm. of 
Um, well, just every two years, I'm going to go find somebody and get a review. No, we want you to change your perspective. Think of it more as just continual improvement, just continual learning, not biennially. Sure, that's when you need the sign off, mm -hmm. but just continually learn. <laughs> you know what a great way to do that is? Huh. The WINGS program. Yeah, that's true. So we have yeah. FAA.gov and we have FAAsafety.gov. Mm. So, by the way, listener, if you don't have a WINGS account, now's the time to go get one. Yeah. It's easy to do. Your insurance will, will be lower as well if you rent and, and the, the charter, not charter, but the FBO that you go with, though, I think I got like, I mean, not crazy amount, but I think I got like 20 bucks off. You know? Sure. Pretty nice. Yeah. 20 bucks or 20 That's bucks. something. Yeah. yeah. That, there's your burger. Not, not a thousand dollar burger, but. <laughs> well, yeah. Any good cheeseburger in New Smyrna Beach will be going to be pushing 20 bucks, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on. You know. uh, for, for, uh, for the vast majority of pilots who are not Harrison Ford, Tom Cruise, or Jimmy Buffett, uh, 20 bucks is 20 bucks. Yeah. You know? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> So what are some methods that you use in practice? Is there a ritual or a habit that you have where you'll sit down with yourself and you're saying, hey, I'm a pilot, I'm still flying. How, how will I keep myself up to date and oh, continue yeah. learning? What, what is your process like? Or oh yeah, you, absolutely. What's your habit like? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, now I don't do this so much anymore <clears throat> because guess why? I don't fly so much anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but what I used to do is I speaking of wings, I would mm -hmm. go out to wings every Saturday. Online like on my oh, computer. Uh -huh. Yeah, on the computer every Saturday at some point, some point during the Saturday. You know, it doesn't take long. I could do a wings course in an hour, sometimes less, sometimes ninety you know, ninety minutes, whatever. I would go out to wings almost every week. Mm -hmm. And pre COVID and now that we're post COVID, you know, I'd sign up for some of those face to face um, wings sessions. Mm -hmm. um, I'm very, very lucky, employed uh, here at Epic where I am. As an employee, I can use the simulator for free. Mm -hmm. I had um, a, when I was instructing actively, um, would schedule myself weekly in one of our sims. And I almost always made it, you know, mm -hmm. so it didn't come out quite weekly, but almost weekly I'd be in a sim. Mm -hmm. And I would be sure to do something VFR and I'd be sure to do something IFR. And um, those are the two things I did, and I really stuck with that. And I like to make sure that I fly with a variety of people. I'll fly with a, a fellow flight instructor on staff, you know, as well as flying with a flight student. Mm -hmm. you know, so those, those are things I did, and I did that really rather habitually you know, for quite some time. Mm -hmm. Oh, and then I would, uh, oh, when I would do my biennial flight review. Now, again, my, my attitude was not biennial, but every two years, you know, mm -hmm. I would go and find somebody to take this flight with. And you know where I'd go? I'd go up to Southeast Aero in St. Augustine, mm -hmm. and I'd hop in with either Patty Wagstaff or Alan Moore or somebody up there on their staff and make sure I got myself upside down and backwards and looping and rolling and, you know, um, those were things I used to do um, regularly. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. What uh, What's one thing that you think aviation has that no other industry has and what makes it so special? 
<laughs> well, the well that's kind of a hard, that's kind of a hard question, the, yeah? The, I came up with that on the spot, but, <laughs> but I think it's a good question. Yeah. The first thing that comes to mind is egos. <laughs> yeah, but that's not true. I mean, if you look at medical doctors or Hollywood actors, yeah. uh, we are... <laughs> We're probably number three. Yeah, we're, we're close to the list. Yeah, um, we, do, we do have great egos, um, and you know, uh, and that can be a lot of fun as long as you keep it in check. Uh, in my military environment, in my military experience, it was always uh, uh, joke around on the ground and be dead serious in the airplane. And it's a really a great combination. It really works. You know, it keeps you relaxed and friendly. It builds camaraderie. And uh, but boy, when you're in the airplane, you know it's you're serious. Mm -hmm. You know you're 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 flying the airplane, so that worked pretty good. But uh, no, so it can't be egos. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to me, now this is from 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 me personally, and I, this really sounds philosophical. But I told you I have this philosophical side, right? Yeah. Um, to me. It's this. Uh, it's the connection with nature, mm. and it's being in the sky, in any sky. Now, maybe shy of a cumulonimbus, yeah, <laughs> which I want to try to avoid. Uh, <laughs> but even in the clouds, or especially you know, in a broken cloud, or between clouds, or on top of the clouds, or on a blue sky day, and just to uh, just to kind of just to kind of let my brain go and just think and feel literally like a bird, you know, and just really connect with nature around me. Now, um, so that's my answer to your question. I'm sure that's probably the case with some other occupations that I can't think of off the top mm -hmm. of my head, but um, I certainly feel like that's, that's a unique piece or a, uh, one of the coolest pieces of of aviation of sitting in the front office so to speak yeah that that's really cool i i have a similar reason as to why i like aviation so much and and it's it's the same thing you and you were saying how you just feel like you know like you're a bird and you're flying you get to see and feel like you know you're at um you know almost one with nature in itself you don't think about it and so my philosophical take, because I'm the same way, is what I noticed a lot when I was a student pilot, and you know I still fly occasionally. What I feel like is sometimes when I, you know I'm on the ground or or doing anything really, I sometimes will try to you know be still or you know just almost like a meditative kind of practice, which is where I'm going with. You you sometimes see thoughts coming in, just random thoughts coming in from your day because. Your brain is pretty funny, and and you'll always you're always thinking about something. Your subconscious is always pushing something out into your conscious, which is really interesting to see. Um, and sometimes you'll get those thoughts, or when you're daydreaming or something, that's when you're like, oh, whoa, I was daydreaming, you know. When I'm flying, it's it almost feels like I'm in a form of meditation where I am just so focused on what I'm doing. It's not like you know laser focused, but I just don't have any other thoughts about. Oh my gosh, you know, I have homework that's due at 11.59 tonight. What am I going to do? There's none of that. It's just me 
looking at where I'm going. I have a purpose. I've planned it all on the ground. Everything else melts away. Everything melts away. And that's <clears throat> that's my favorite thing about aviation. You so are that's now cool. <laughs> that's cool that you mentioned that. If you're listening to this and you're a flight instructor or you're studying <laughs> flight instruction and you're back to chapter three in the instructor handbook, or right. if any anyone in any way is familiar with Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs and you get to the top of that pyramid where it says self-actualization, mm. That's what you're describing. That's what yeah. we're describing. That's what that is. You are actualized in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. It's nothing else. Pretty cool. That's cool that the FAA has that. Yeah. 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 That is really cool. Because yeah, it's just you're just in the moment. You're in the zone. For, you know, to you know, per se. You are actualized. Yeah. yeah that is yeah. pretty cool. Actualized. That's a cool word. Yeah. To describe. Yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. That is uh, Dr. Maslow, uh-huh. who uh, taught at the University of Wisconsin in Madison back in the. 50s, if I'm not mistaken, I could be mistaken. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you have any advice for anyone that is thinking about wine start aviation or any aspect of it? Since you know you have a, a good background, not just flying. Oh yeah. Um, what What's some good advice you have for for them to just kind of you know get in the water and you know or dip your toes or whatever and, and see? Yeah. Um, aviation's about I get I mean so you know there, there's there's tons of advice to disseminate but um, you know the there's one key piece and I think about it from my own experience and I think about it from the experience of of others I've seen you know that have come along with me my same age or younger or even older than me and the successful versus the unsuccessful you know, and, and it's really this, it's, it's um, never be a know-it-all. Um, find mentors, and I say that in plural, purposely. I mean, a mentor, obviously fantastic, mm-hmm. but find more, find, find many mentors, make connections, be humble, be humble, which is easy when you're a student pilot, because yeah. <laughs> there's nothing to be but humble. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm I, the private is yeah. baby, baby. I got ego. 25 hours in a 172. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but even then, you know, be humble. And as you move through your career, and and you've flown with some great aviators, and you've got thousands of hours, and you've worked for different companies, continue the humility and continue to find mentors, plural. Be humble, find mentors, talk to them. Now, just do that. And I, I can guarantee if you will just do that, just find mentors with a humble attitude, your aviation career will just take off. It will take off, pardon the pun. <laughs> um, because aviation is a small community. It's a small community. And, and again, pardon the pun, but it will take off if you're if you're humble and you connect to these mentors. And I'll tell you what, I have seen some very very experienced pilots. I've been lucky to know, for example, at the National Association of Flight Instructors and other associations I've been connected to. And you know the great ones? Which ones? They're humble. Yeah. They are so humble. It's it's. Um, so make, keep that humility and make connections to mentors. 
and then just let it happen because it will, it will at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, that's how I got into aviation mentors. So that was really good advice. Um, Mike, what are uh, some ways that people can reach out to you or maybe is there anything you want to shout out? Any last words? Um, oh, where can um, people find you? The uh, easiest way to find me is at the Epic Flight Academy. And um, you can see me there on the website. And I'm not sure if my contact info's out there, but um, I know we don't have any visual screens here. <laughs> if you have a really good memory, I'll mention it more than once. It's not too mm-hmm. difficult to, to figure out. It's my first name hyphen last name. So it's mm-hmm. Mike, not Michael. My name mm-hmm. is Michael, but mm-hmm. Mike hyphen Thompson at epicflightacademy.com. So Mike hyphen Thompson at epicflightacademy.com. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the best way, probably the best way to get in touch with me. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I would love to meet you. Uh, I'd love to come to your um, flying club, your school, your high school, your college. Ah, you know what? Speaking of that, now yeah. a little personal plug here. Pardon me. Uh-huh. I'm still trying to be humble. Me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. I'm one I was, I was so honored. I mean, just absolutely honored. A year ago, I was connect, uh, contacted by the Purdue University mm. in West Lafayette, Indiana. They have a very reputable, a long-running and famous aviation program. And um, I made good friends with the folks up there, and they said, hey, we're starting this program where we're trying to get our flight instructors to uh, develop professionally. Would you come up and speak about your book? Oh, so awesome. last March, 11 months ago, mm. um, I was so honored to go up and speak at Purdue. So uh, I'm, I'm more than happy to come out and, uh, and speak. And you might wonder what my fee is. <laughs> well, it was a cheeseburger, fries, and a root beer. Um, there you go. <laughs> All you got to pay for is the transportation. Yeah. Just yeah. get me out there and back. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to come and, 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 and not just speak, but you know, more importantly, make it a, 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 an interactive thing. Work mm-hmm. with your flight instructors or flight instructor or students or staff or whatever. Yeah, happy to do it. Mm-hmm. Happy to do it. Just, yeah, let me know. Yeah. I've had an awesome conversation with you. This has been really cool. And I've definitely learned a lot. So if you take up, you know, Mike's offer, you'll you'll definitely learn a lot too. So Mike, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it a lot. Daniel, you are awesome, man. <laughs> thank you so much. And I wish you the absolute best luck with this podcast series. Yeah, Daniel, you're the best, man. <laughs> appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. All right. This is from Ground to Great, the business aviation and personal growth podcast. This is Daniel Reese Jimenez, signing out.